21-yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown, and it is Wednesday, June 16th, 2021. Thanks for being here with us. As always, Canadian Football Perspective is brought to you by our friends at Fox 40. The Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask, of course, an important part of the return-to-play strategy for the Canadian Football League, which they're excited to be able to do, as we'll talk about in just a second. The electronic whistle and the whistle gator. My question, DT, which of those three innovations for Fox 40 ends up on the field? When we get back into action, I'm not sure. Maybe all three of them. Maybe it's preference of the individual officials. But to check out these products and more, you can visit fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15 at checkout. 15% off on all of your Fox 40 products. We had good news this week, didn't we? Oh, my gosh. I, I felt probably three weeks ago, I was like, this is 99% happening. But even with that, to actually hear it be said on Monday... We are starting August 5th. I was just so deliriously excited. Yeah, it was comforting more than anything else. And I think going into the discussions that were being reported on by Farhan Walji, Dave Naylor, Justin Dunk, all the rest, when they were saying this is likely going to go through, but there's discussion about two teams that don't want to. And then I did Martian Mello last week with Kyle Mello here on CFP. And I said, there's no way in hell that anybody is going to allow the optics of them voting no to come out. Like this is not a true democracy. There is no chance that Toronto was going to vote no and be on that island by themselves or Montreal was going to vote no and be on the the optics of that would have been so incredibly horrific that as soon as I started kind of thinking through it and talking through it on Marshmallow, I'm like, this is going to be unanimous, like regardless of whether or not it's actually unanimous, this is absolutely going to come out as unanimous. And sure enough, it comes out as unanimous. And I have no problem with that because it would be great to find out the real honest truth about who was in and who wasn't and what the motives were and the decision-making process and all the rest. But all I care is that we have football. Like I'm not out here trying to play gotcha <laughs> with random people that I don't care about, you know, whether or not they actually wanted to play. Fact is we're playing football. And so it's a win for everybody involved. 8-0 is just as unanimous as 9-0. Yeah, not, everybody, <laughs> not everybody has to vote. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, Craig Reynolds, the, the writer's president, CEO, and Randy Ambrosi both said on my show, unanimous, vociferously unanimous. And I said to Reynolds, you can tell me if it wasn't 9-0. He's like, nope, 9-0 unanimous. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I, we'll, we'll find out in a couple of years if that was really the truth. Yeah. But it, it honestly, I'm with you. Doesn't matter a bit because no. we are 50 days to the beginning of the CFL season. And that is all I care about. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Uh, I do know one person who absolutely did not vote, though, uh, Craig Reynolds. Uh, because uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are all in on this year for a lot of the right reasons, of course, because they got an exciting roster. A lot of great moves being made throughout the offseason. We've covered here for you on the breakdown and across CFP. And today we are going to dive into one big question that we have for all of the teams across the Canadian Football League. Before we get there, though, we have to tell you about Sada City Brewing Company, offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Visit their website at sadacitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews to learn more. And of course, use that promo code CFL, free shipping on orders over $100. Available to Ontario residents only, must be legal drinking age. All right, let's get into it. Uh, it is one 
big question, which you might not know this, DT, but we actually had some imaging made for this segment specifically. Get ready for this. Here we go. One big question. That is stolen from radio (laughs) with Kyle Mello and myself. We used to do one big question. Uh, By the way, the voice that you heard there, Ticat Stadium announcer, Mike Neighbors. How about that? Uh, He is the one that did it for you. He's also the man uh, who brought us. Let me see if I dive into my iTunes library here. Uh, Holy moly. Oh, yeah, here we go. Holy moly, Jeremiah Mazzoli. That's a real thing that he has screamed into the speakers at Tim Hortons Field after a rushing touchdown. He would scream, holy moly, Jeremiah Mazzoli. Oh, that is outstanding. I love it. I love it. Uh, He is a good man, and I miss working with him. He was our programming director at TSN 1150, but he voiced all of our stuff on our radio show, which was fantastic. But he did that one big question for us, and uh, we have one big question for each CFL team, as I mentioned. There's a lot of answers that I think we already have after a really long extended offseason in terms of what we are expecting going in. But as we know, the CFL is unpredictable, and there's going to be changes. There's going to be things that happen during training camp, players getting released otherwise. But these questions have to do more with what we expect once we actually get to the regular season. This is not really about training camp. And for me, these questions really aren't about nitpicking and saying, well, I doubt something. These are things I genuinely don't know the answer to. Like these are, I have questions where I just go, I don't know. And I'm excited to find out. Maybe we can revisit these at the quarter pole, halfway mark, whatever it might be, and discover what the answers are or the answers are so far. Uh, but where did you want to go to start off your DT with one big question for each team? Yeah, I just started in the East and I started with Toronto because the schedule came out on Tuesday and man, did Toronto get slapped yeah. with the 2021 CFL schedule. Uh, so my one big question for the Argos is who did you tick off bad enough that you play six out of 14 games against the teams that were in the Grey Cup in 2019? Yes. Four games against Hamilton, which I think is the best team in the league, and we'll get to them in a second. I think they're the best team in the league. Toronto has to play them four times. You have to play Winnipeg twice. You start off with with Calgary and Saskatchewan. Their first seven games, when you see the Argos schedule, is an absolutely brutal gauntlet. And how can you do the Argos like this? I I have a hypothesis for why four games against the Ticats – but for a team that I thought was going to be the second best team in the East, there is a real chance their record will not reflect that at all because their schedule is so brutal. I guess the hypothesis that you have would revolve around something like the Ticats are the favorites in the East and the Toronto is supposed to be the great challenger who's built up this roster instantaneously. So why not create ratings and why not create buzz with having them play against each other? Because that, for me, that's where I feel as though this might have come out of. I also have a hypothesis on why they got such a bad schedule. It might've done with the whole salary cap circumvention type stuff that everyone was talking about in the off season, where it's like, listen, if you guys want to do that and you want to dance around all these questions and have your fun with it, then we might have to punish you with some schedule stuff here to actually test you in, in a different way. That's a very twisted way of looking at it. I know, but uh, it, it actually leads directly into my one big question for the Toronto Argonauts in 2021, which is how long of a leash does Nick Arbuckle get? And the reason yes. that I bring this up is, is obviously because of McLeod Bethel Thompson. And I've seen what he can do. I think that he can produce. And if he's given a team where he's producing and putting up all this yardage and getting them down the field and they get defense and they get better special teams, that's the complimentary football that every coach always talks about. So 
I don't think that Nick Arbuckle deserves to have this pressure on his shoulders right away. But the reality is as a starting quarterback and as a young starting quarterback with a veteran who's already been the starting quarterback of the team that you are stepping into, there's going to already be pressure on him. Now add in Hamilton, Winnipeg, Calgary, Saskatchewan, those first seven games that you talk about. And my thing is, okay, I think they're good enough that they should be at least 500. But if they're not, by the time that they get through that first really difficult stretch, before they can get into some of the Ottawa's and Montreal's and maybe BC is a little bit weaker, depending on what they end up turning into for Mike Riley this year. I genuinely wonder if Nick Arbuckle doesn't play great through three games, does he get taken out in the fourth quarter? If McLeod Bethel Thompson comes in in the fourth quarter and balls out, what do you do going into the next? It's going to be a storyline all year long. It's it's a better version of what we had with Jonathan Jennings and Dominique Davis in Ottawa in 2019, where it was like every week you're going, well, this is just going to be a storyline that never really ends until we find an answer. And they never really found an answer. I think Nick Arbuckle is the answer. But if he isn't, how long is he allowed to keep playing in that spot? I wonder what Toronto's strategy is for that. And if they have a plan or if this is just we'll figure it out as we go down the road. Yeah, in an 18-game season, right, you have you have leash. You, you have rope that you can give a guy. In a 14-game season, yeah. less so. Those decisions become magnified. If this was a nine-game season, you have to start making a call after, like, two games. I think in, in a 14-game season, you have a little more time. And it'll get down to the interesting decision of, this is a quarterback I know. I worked with him in Calgary versus this is a guy who's shown some stuff in this league over – multiple years and not just the one year of Nick Arbuckle. So yeah, that's a real good, uh, how that offense goes. They've got weapons right at receiver and they've got some offensive line. What is Nick Arbuckle like when he is the man? Yeah. And, and here's my caveat on the Arbuckle point of how long he's allowed to play. If he's indeed struggling, it's such an unfair position to put somebody in, in their first starting role. Like, and I understand that I realize, and I don't like, already framing the conversation before he even takes a training camp snap, let alone a preseason snap, let alone a regular season snap as a starting quarterback for Toronto. We should just be saying, ah, let him play. But the reality is like you say, John Murphy, when he goes into places, he tends to build the team to win now. And if he's trying to build the team to win now with Cam judge and Enoch Wamba and Charleston Hughes and Cordero law and, 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 if he's doing all of that and the quarterback isn't performing, I'm not saying John Murphy's the one making the, the decisions. I'm not even saying pinball's the one making it's the coach. You give him the players and the coach makes the decision. Yeah. But the organization as a whole, at some point, if they're not getting what they need and they're losing games early in the year and it's a condensed schedule, they're going to have to look at each other, sit down in a meeting and go, what do we do? What's right for this football team? And I don't know what that timeline is. So that's my one big question. Yeah, that's, that is a very good one about a team that I thought was scheduled to be second in the East, but uh, now I wonder when, when we see that. Uh, the team that was second in the East last season in 2019 was the Montreal Alouettes. My one big question for the Alouettes is, how does Vernon Adams avoid regression or how does he get better at enough stuff to offset the regression that I, that I think is, is coming for him? His, we've talked about this before, Marsh, you and I, his passing accuracy was not great. Uh, he got away with with throws that he shouldn't have. He really enjoyed staring down receivers. I believe it was nine dropped interceptions when I talk about throws that, that he shouldn't have gotten away with. How does, if that doesn't get better, if he doesn't get better at stuff like that, how does he avoid the luck factor regressing to the mean and, and him becoming 
not viable as a, as a starter at quarterback. And we start thinking about Matthew Schiltz. Uh, Montreal has done some really nice stuff in bringing in receivers to get him to get him going. Um, William Stanback is back from the NFL. Hey, we've added some pieces on that defense as well, but there's a lot of expectations on Vernon Adams. And if he regresses in some of the things that didn't bite him in the butt in 2019, it, it, it could go real bad. My question again, feeds off of yours in this spot, TT, when it comes to Montreal and it is, Again, revolving around Vernon Adams Jr., but specifically for the style of play that he's going to have this year, does he yeah. stay as vertical? That's the big question that I have, because when you have William Stanback in the backfield, there's there's really two ways that they can go with this in terms of Vernon Adams Jr.'s development. He can be the gunslinger who is ripping it deep all the time because he's taking shots because he knows that he's got the steady balancing act of William Stanback beating people up and stealing the odd second and long if they go incomplete, taking a deep shot on first down. Because again, playing the metrics of this, we know that when you throw the ball deeper, it is going to be a lower efficiency throw. You're going to complete less of them. And so if you're completing less of them on first down, that means that you're left with more second and longs. Well, if you're able to convert more second and longs using a running back that's going to stiff arm people and run right through their face like William Stanback, then you have the ability to stay really vertical on first down and challenge defenses in a way that other teams necessarily can't because they might not have that second down running game punch. With yeah. that being said, they could also go to a more conservative, more toned back offense and say, we've got all these receivers, but if we can run really great short and intermediate routes, intertwined together, great mesh routes, beat people with man coverage, with creating separation. We don't have to just chuck it over the top all the time. And if we start to pick people apart, like we got picked apart in the East semifinal in 2019 by Trevor Harris in Edmonton, we've also got William Stanback who can give us the consistent punch. So I imagine it either becoming this, shoot it down the field, take your risk, get vertical, and then you stand back, or you stand back and surround him with this really high efficiency passing offense. I'm not sure Vernon's that guy, but there's a potential there for them to go one of two ways. And I think it's going to be pretty distinct once we get the ball rolling. Yeah. I was just looking it up. Uh, Adams converted second and longs 49% of the time when he threw the ball, that was tied for the highest in the league with Nick Arbuckle. Uh, his passer rating wasn't amazing because he threw five interceptions in it right. as well. Uh, but the William Stanback factor is, is intriguing Huge. of how much will they use them? How much will defenses encourage them to use them? As uh, you and I have talked about, we think Stanback is a, is a different breed among CFL running backs right now. So uh, that's one guy I'm, I'm excited to see. Uh, I want to leave Hamilton for the last team in the East. Sure. Uh, uh, Ottawa had news that they revealed on Tuesday. Uh, they had three guys retire, and one of them was Jalen Saunders. And Tim Baines of the Ottawa Sunset might be a retirement where they move him to the retired list because he was in an, he was an automobile crash. And he might not be healthy, but he still wants to play. Uh, my question for Ottawa is, if they don't have Jalen Saunders, who are their weapons on offense? It's, it's a team I'm not overwhelmed with the talent they have front to back. But when I saw Jalen Saunders sign, I went, okay, Jalen Saunders, RJ Harris at the boundary slot, Brad Sinopoli, we could find somebody to, to be those other two spots, plop in another Canadian. This, this is the beginning of something but if it's it, without Jalen Saunders, um, I don't know who Ryan Davis and Marvell Ross and Wesley Lewis are, other receivers on their depth chart. To me, that's a big blow that I don't know uh, 
who Matt Nichols gets the ball to in that offense. Yeah, and I was hoping that they were going to, because just like you're saying here, when they went Jalen Saunders to the field side there, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to be your your skinny seams, your post, your wide side corner guy. You're going to put a Dan Peterman or a Canadian, maybe a Wesley Lewis on the wide side wide receiver. R.J. Harris, you know, he can be running similar stuff where it's the in-breaking routes in from the boundary slot back position where he can run to the corner. you got Sinopoli running those unders. All of a sudden, you're starting to go, okay, now we've got free safeties that have to choose. Like, do you drive on R.J. Harris on an in-breaking route to the boundary? Do you run a skinny over the top with Jalen Saunders? Do you have Brad Sinopoli catching a billion balls, checking down through the middle or sitting in the middle of zones? And now, like you say, you take away Saunders. And obviously, we're thinking about his health first and foremost, because I saw the pictures that he put up on Instagram of the crash. It looked terrifying as all hell. Like, he's lucky to be in, in as good a shape as he is at this point, it seems like. But at that point, you start to go, okay, yeah, if he's not there, what is this going to look like? And that leads to my one big question, which selfishly, I was going to say, where does Dan Peterman play? Because I'm planning on Dan <laughs> Peterman. And again, I say selfishly because I went to Mac with them and I know him pretty well. Yeah. But but for me, I genuinely wonder when he got picicked up in free agency by Ottawa, Paul Lapelise obviously circled him and said, we need to get this guy because he can do more than we have given him in Winnipeg. We couldn't give him much in Winnipeg because we had Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris is a ball-dominant player, whether it be through the air or on the ground. So when I see Dan Peterman getting to that roster, I immediately went, oh, wide side, wide receiver. He's going to be Drew Wolitarski. But there's a wonder for me whether or not he's actually going to be the Nick Dembski role. And that I find yeah. really interesting because people don't think of, Drew, uh, of Peterman as being a, a Wolitarski, or sorry, as being a Nick Dembski guy. But right. I'm telling you, he's got the ability to do that. He's got the looping and the motion and the backfield and slipping to the flats and the running the ball. He can do a lot of really creative stuff. But my real one big question on this team is when I talk about Winnipeg in 2019, everybody knows it ran through Andrew Harris. It didn't matter if it's Kolaros, Nichols, Strevler, whatever. It went through Andrew Harris as long as he was there. And again, yes, the running back, Bill in the Asian, and Johnny Augustine comes in, he does his thing, and Brady Olivier looked pretty good. Maybe it was a little bit system-based, but Andrew Harris powered that thing right through the Grey Cup. You saw how dominant he was in that final game that we've seen. And now I'm wondering, can Paul Apelis, with whatever, with or without Jalen Saunders, with or without having Dan Peterman in that Wolitarski-ish spot or that Nick Dembski-ish spot, can any of that work? Can any of it be productive if Timothy Flanders can't be Andrew Harris? And I don't know the answer okay. to that. I, I really don't. But it's even if it's not Timothy Flanders, if it's somebody else that comes in and amazes, can they run what they are doing in the backfield if they don't have consistency that they can lean on like they did with, I'm sure Lapo has a billion ways that he can beat you. Like I got immense respect for that guy as you do, but I'm wondering if it's going to take the shape of what Winnipeg did in any way, shape or form, can it look as productive if they don't have that constant threat in the backfield? Because when you're watching a Winnipeg game in 2019 and for years beyond, everything was eyes in the backfield. What's 33 doing? okay, now I can focus on Darvin Adams and whoever else is out there, but you had to key on the backfield at all times. If Nichols doesn't have that, I wonder how they're going to produce. Uh, Timothy Flanders, 100 carries in my database, 103 carries, really nice yards before carry, which is kind of what Winnipeg did, 2.4 hmm. yards after contact, which is which is just fine. Uh, that's that's a real question. You, you know me and running backs, and I feel yes. like they're interchangeable. If if they're two tackles, if they settle on two tackles that can move the pile, I think. Pardon me. They'll be uh, they'll be good on that. But uh, Ottawa, it could be a long year Tough, in Ottawa. Yeah. 
Hamilton's the final team in. What the did you East. hang on? Hang on a second. What did you right, think of Nichols coming out on TSN radio and saying, "I hope everybody picks against us." I thought that was really interesting because he put even more weight on his shoulders. So we're talking about Arbuckle here earlier on with Toronto. And Nichols is basically saying, yeah, pick against us. I can't wait for you guys to challenge us and see what happens. That's not going to look great if they actually struggle the way we expect them to based on the challenges that they're up against. Yeah, and he's not going to be busting out that game manager hat if they start the season one and six, right? I, I, I thought it was fine. I kind of liked, liked that from him. But to me, Matt Nichols is like the sixth or seventh best quarterback in the CFL. So I... I don't think that Matt Nichols changes anything by himself the way Mike Riley can change things by himself, the way that Cody Fajardo in 2019 could change things, right? I don't see that in Nichols. So to me, that's a guy that needs weapons. He's got an offensive coordinator who makes him twice as good as he is and vice versa. But if you're throwing to me and Marshall, well, you're, you're pooched. You're absolutely <laughs> in, a, in a ton of trouble. So I, I like it, but... I don't, I don't think we're seeing the game manager hat be busted out for any news conferences this year. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats are the final team in the East. One big question, Marshall Ferguson, about the Hamilton Tiger Cats that you know so well is, what is going to keep them from going 13-1 and one in this 14-game season? <laughs> I, I look at this roster, and we, we've talked about the quarterbacks before. They have the best quarterback depth uh, for as much value as that is receivers nonstop banks and a multi-purpose weapon in Addison. Well, banks is a multi-purpose weapon. Plus here's Devere Posey. Plus here's the first pick in the draft. Oh, by the way, we're covered at Canadian and American running back as well. Oh, by the way, we have the best defensive line in the CFL. Oh, by the way, Simone Lawrence and Javon Santos knocks at linebacker. Yes, please. The defensive backfield. Fantastic. So what's the thing that's going to keep them from being 13 and one? Is it needing to find somebody to replace Delvin bro? Or is it the question mark that exists at left tackle? There's going, they're not going to be 13 and one because that would be, it's, it's very improbable that they are a 13 and one team, but what is, I'm, I want to know what is the thing that's going to keep them from almost running the table this season? Cause I think this roster is packed and the coaching staff is all back and what a huge benefit yeah. that is. Yeah, that's huge. That's almost like, you know, the, the Buffalo Bills that I'm a fan of when Brian Dable comes back as the offensive coordinator. And you're like, that seems unfair. Like, he shouldn't be an offensive coordinator still. Tommy Condell feel that way. Mark Washington's gotten looks for a while. Orlando's kept a lot of this stuff in-house. So, yeah, they're they're pretty loaded. They're ready to go. And uh, I, for me, it's funny because I actually pegged them with a minimum of two losses just to the Argos. And the reason that I say that is the emotional exhaustion of playing the Argos four times. I know what Hamilton's locker room is like after they beat the Argos. I know what Hamilton's locker room is like after they lose to the Argos. I know what it's like pregame before Argos games, home or away. Like, I've been on the field. I've seen these guys. I don't know if it's this fallacy that they've bought in on or if it's the old veterans like Filer and Simone and even Masoli at this point in his career, being able to tell guys with knowledge, like, hey, these games are different. Hamilton, Toronto really don't like each other. The crowd is different. It's loud. It's angry. It's fun. But there's an emotional exhaustion that comes with getting up for Labor Day and the Labor Day rematch. And I've seen sometimes the third game that they play, whether it's start of the season or if it's after the Labor Day and Labor Day rematch, where sometimes it's like, oh, okay, this, this is a bit of a dud because they just can't, <laughs> they can't harness that anger and yeah. bring that to life four times. And so I'm looking at this and I'm going, 
I understand that Hamilton is the superior team on paper to 98% of people that will look at those two teams, despite everything Toronto has done to improve themselves. I still think that there's going to be some challenges there for Toronto to get up and cry. And to their credit in 2019, they did it. And I was amazed every time that they did it, where they got it. It's like, let's go into Toronto and beat them by 50. Let's go into Labor Day and beat them at home. Let's go. And it's just like, they got up for every single round, but that was 2019. And this is 2021. So we'll see if that happens. My one big question for Hamilton is if there is indeed a crack in the Liberty Bell, if there is something that's wrong, how soon will it show up and where will it show up? Because as you mentioned, it's it's no Riker Matthews. It's uh, Delvin Bro being gone. It's the middle linebacker position. Javon Santos Knox, yes, but eh, it would be nice to have Larry Dean there as you would have in 2020 if he was still around and didn't go to the Riders in free agency. And so the whole idea of, I think they're impeccable, but if they're not, when do we know and mm. where and where will that be? And the, the reason I say when will we know is that I think the Ticats roster is so good going into this season. Even if they have an, a bit of an issue here or there, whether it's, oh, no, the, the field corner's getting blown away, or if it's the free safety, Tunde's really not disciplined with his eyes, or maybe you know somebody's lost a step on the offensive line, and all of a sudden there's uh, you know pressure coming from here. And I, I think the roster's good enough. It'll cover up a lot of any little flaws through two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. It might cover it up for a while, And my wonder is because I think this is what we saw in the Grey Cup and obviously one game sample size, not really fair, but there were flaws with that nearly perfect Hamilton football team. And Winnipeg took advantage of them and they all came to life at the perfectly wrong time for Hamilton in a championship Mm. game. And I'm just wondering, are they, because, and this is the interesting thing about team building that I'm always intrigued by with coaches. My coaches in high school used to always say to me, we're going to work on our, our five wide package. I practice today. I go, great. Are we using it against Bay Ridge secondary this week? They go, hell no. We're saving it for the playoffs. What? <laughs> they go, yeah, because we don't want to waste it. We don't want to show it. We don't want anybody to figure it out. We want to spring it on them. Okay. Well, next week we would go into practice. They'd say, well, we're going with our full house four running back package today. I go, oh man, we are going to beat up Napanee secondary this week, aren't we? They go, hell no. We're using it in the playoff. Okay. How much are we going to say? But they were interested in having fail saves for when things went wrong, when we needed a change of pace, they just built them in throughout the year so that it was like, you know, Mm. we get into a spot where all of a sudden we got issues. They can flip a switch and go to something different. And I'm not saying that's going to be system-based for Hamilton, but I do wonder what are they going to build in throughout the year? So that if something does start to go a little bit sideways, they don't falter. They don't fall apart at any sense. Even if it's in the playoffs, they got to be able to have something in their back pocket at all times the coaching staff is super smart. I know they know that. Ticats fans know they know that. I just wonder what that is and how they'll cover up anything that kind of creeps up on them throughout the year. Yeah. they From a roster building perspective, they've got depth at Canadians. They've got depth in their American skill positions. They have a lot of quality players in that roster to uh, – to make it through any of these uh, sure would, problems that might <laughs> sure would be fun to be at training camp, but it's closed. Uh, that's, yeah, that's exactly. unfortunate. I saw that from Steve Melton, the Hamilton spectator, where he said training camp is closed. They're doing it at Tim Hortons field. They're not going to McMaster. It is not open to the public. They are staying in hotel rooms. I mean, it's as much as we are making our way out of the COVID stuff, we're still very much in the COVID stuff. So um, yeah. having them go through all those protocols, it's like, I uh, mean, behind closed doors, having that much talent, I, 
that that feels like a real missed opportunity for us to see. But it also, in the age of team-run media, it gives the Ticats exclusive rights to video footage of these intense tri- uh, training camp moments with all of these guys on the roster. So, uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate fans can't get to experience it. I wish I could get to experience it, but it's going to be a good football team, and we'll see where they go. Yeah, I, I think they are absolutely the favorites to win the Grey Cup. They're, they have the easiest path to get there of any team, so uh, it should be good for the Ticats this year. Let's go to the West, and uh, we should start with Saskatchewan because they made news on Tuesday, and I was on Charleston Hughes' podcast on Tuesday talking Where about are you? this kind of stuff. Charleston had me on Better With Age, and I got to ask him some some cool questions. I was very nice. excited about that. Uh, the Riders signed Dion Lacey on Tuesday, yeah. which answers the question of who's going to be the Will linebacker. Oh, Dion Lacey, who's been in the NFL since twenty the 2017 season? Yeah, okay, they're good. They're good. That's that's an upgrade. Like, you go from Cam Judge to Dion Lacey, Props to Cam Judge. Deion Lacey's awesome. So. Well, and and I've seen Deion Lacey do his thing, and I've seen Larry Dean do his thing, and they feel like similar players. Like, they're so fast to the football. The, the way they diagnose with their eyes and shoot gaps and make sure tackles. When I saw the Deion Lacey signing, I'm like, man, that is a crazy combination to be able to – like, if you would have had Larry Dean alongside Simone Lawrence, it's like, obviously, yeah, that's a great pairing. Simone Lawrence has more CFL tenure. People in Hamilton will say, you know, any Will linebacker is not as good as Simone Lawrence because they love their Ticats. But Deion Lacey is a wildly talented linebacker. And for him to be alongside Larry, I just was yeah. like looking at, at those one-two punches inside the box because, as you know, we can consider the Sam linebacker to kind of be that hybrid. I just I'm amazed that they're going to get that type of production from their line. I wouldn't be surprised if they lead the league in tackles from from the Will and the Mac combined. Oh, it, it's such a terrific signing uh, and re-signing essentially because they had him in 2020, yeah. but he opted out to try the NFL. So my question for Saskatchewan now becomes who replaces Charleston Hughes and who replaces, well, one positionally, I, I can kind of guess, but two, who, who replaces that impact? Uh, AC Leonard was, was nice opposite Charleston, but you, you wonder how much of AC Leonard's nice season is because of Charleston. The question we've asked about the guy playing opposite Charleston for a decade. Oh, this guy's got double-digit sacks. Ah, they're sliding to to uh, 39 side, so maybe that's why. Uh, Freddie Bishop, is it Chad Jeter, who is a real who is really well-liked in this town, I believe in his coaching staff as well. Uh, who replaces that impact? And if they can't replace 16 sacks, 18 sacks, and you know number three in quarterback pressures, uh, how does that change things? They have a veteran core behind them. That defensive backfield is almost entirely back. Maybe some minor juggling with Luchez Purifoy coming down to Sam. But, I mean, the back eight looks really nice. So what do they do for pressure off the edge? Because as much as he's 37, Charleston Hughes was a monster in 2019. So what do they do without that? Or can someone become that is my biggest question about the riders for me my question about the riders is what do they do with the quarterback run game and i know i've been harping about this when i've been on the sports cage with you i keep bringing it up i feel like people that live in saskatchewan and hear me talk riders football are tired of me talking about fajardo and quarterback run game but here is why i'm intrigued by it he's got the ability it gives you something that there's a lot of other quarterbacks in the league that can't bring to the table what he does. And it's, yeah, anybody can break the pocket and go scrambling for nine yards and slide. We've seen McLeod Bethel Thompson do that in 2019 on a not-so-great offense for the Argos. 
that's good to have as a quarterback. The difference is Cody Fajardo will take that nine yards, juke a linebacker, stiff arm somebody else, and run 40 yards. And so I, I think you have to access some of it, but I wonder what the risk-reward is in terms of called quarterback runs because there's always the risk when you call a quarterback run, whether it be an interior run, whether it be a, a midline defensive tackle option, if it be a, a t- standard zone read, if it be an RPO where you've got the ability to roll out afterwards, there's so many different things they can do with him. Jason Moss is a creative guy. He's got an open mind. He's coming in. He wants to make a splash with the riders. All of the ingredients are there for Cody for to be a really lethal runner, or they could say, Nope, that's our guy. We want to refine him as a passer. We're not going to take away his legs. He can create with his legs, go off script when he wants to, but we want him to be this and put him in a little bit of a box and say, if you Mm. want to dance outside the box, feel free to, but we're not going to smash open the gate and say, go crazy. So I don't know what that's going to look like, but I am intrigued by the idea that quarterback run will factor into his success this year. Eight touchdowns on designed runs for Fajardo in 2019. We see quarterbacks who have 13 touchdowns, but 12 of them are on quarterback sneaks. Yeah. Fajardo had eight of his rushing touchdowns on designed runs, not scrambles, not sneaks, but they said, this is a run play. Cody dived for the pylon and beat Hamilton. And and he did it. Uh, That said, he did hurt his shoulder so badly diving for the touchdown against Hamilton that he was absolutely unable to throw the ball the very next week against Montreal. So if Moss does go away from that, there is evidence to say, yeah, you know what? That might, it it costs us something, but we we don't have a quarterback who can't throw with his proper arm the next week. And, And full transparency, my take on this, wondering what they would do with the quarterback run game was developed the second Moss was hired because we all saw at the end of the season when Fajardo was injured, he was not himself. And that vastly impacted the ability of Winnipeg to get, I believe, into the Grey Cup. Like when you're going through a Western final against Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan, they should, if they had a fully healthy, to me, Cody Fajardo, been able to knife and and pick apart a little bit more of what Winnipeg was doing defensively. Because again, against a great defensive end tandem like they have in Winnipeg, one of the best things you can do is slow those guys down by making them use their minds, like make them be red. And he had the ability to do that when healthy, he wasn't healthy. Like he wasn't moving well and that changed that game. So do you want to risk the bonus of added production and a more varied offense for the possibility of him getting dinged? And then you're really in some trouble because again, full respect to the backup situation in Saskatchewan, it's not Cody Fajardo from when he's healthy in 2019 that we saw. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to pull up while we were talking, what was the deepest throw that Fajardo made in that game? Because he he had said, you know, he he tried a deep ball and it got picked off in that game. And he said, yeah, that was that was absolutely as far as I could throw it on my uh, my injured arm. And on, honestly, for I mean, you know, uh, you know, depth, this is not even remotely correct. That's it was probably <laughs> maybe 40 yards down. You had it at 97 and- yards, didn't you? No, I was, I'm goofing up what game, it was game 94 of the, of that. Season. Oh, you actually number them. Damn. That would confuse the hell out of me. <laughs> it, but it allows me to kind of figure this out. So what was the deepest throw Fajardo had in that game? Before? We're talking West final 36 yards downfield. And he said, that was, that was as, as good as I could do that day. And he, he must've broken 50 in some other games that year. So yeah, it's, it was it was a problem that you you don't want to uh, run into. Yeah, uh, I had it little, at thirty seven, and it was to Shaq Evans, and it got picked off. That and see, that's the one he said that was absolutely as far as I could yeah. throw it, and I ended through Shaq by a mile. And you're like, yeah, that's but 
damn if he didn't try and, and get a bunch <laughs> more fans on the season. He had multiple ones over 50 yards during the season, did, yeah. uh, did Fajardo. Uh, the Grey Cup champ, well, the 2019 Grey Cup champion. There is no reigning <laughs> Grey Cup champion as, of the, as per the sports cage abdicated in 2020 it's it's the king the guy who was going to be king but fell in love with a divorced woman they're abdicated abdicated uh winnipeg blue bombers uh my one big question for the winnipeg blue bombers i kind of wonder about their wide receivers but they lost both their boundary defensive backs who i thought were fantastic in winston rose and marcus sales and the rest of the league and everybody watching thought they were fantastic so i'm nothing special on that uh, how do they replace that is a real question. Their defensive line, fantastic. Linebackers, bring it on. But I see a list of a, a bunch of names, and some of them we, we know well, and some of them we know a little bit. But who takes over? I mean, that boundary halfback spot is might be the critical spot in the defensive backfield. Who takes that? Who's the boundary corner that is tasked with shutting down Shaq Evans on – on Banjo Bowl Labor Day, that that combo. That's other than that. I mean, the roster looks looks nice, mm -hmm. but the boundary defensive back spots. Those two, to me, are are my biggest question for what Winnipeg does in this season. Could have gone here with my one big question for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers with some offensive line talk because I think that that's fair. The evolution that they've had, although they're still super super stable. I mean, it, it, all things considered, when you look at the tackle positions and all the rest, oh. like they're they are they're locked in. It's the interior that I'm wondering how that's going to develop as the season goes on. But my real question here uh, is more about celebrating Winnipeg's greatness. I think at, at what they are best at, which is defensive end play. And my oh. one big my one big question so is. How many combined knockdowns do Jackson and Willie get? How many combined sacks do they get? Like if we are adding up totals of defensive ends across the league, how much further ahead everybody else are they in every category? Because there's been a couple of times this offseason, I've seen the videos of them training. They didn't lose a step. Like they're not waiting around. They're not, oh, COVID restrictions. I can't go to the gym and lift. No, they're making their own lifts. Like they're they're making their own runs. They're finding their own hills. They're... And those guys, they're driven, they're smart, which I think is something that's super underrated because everybody looks at Will and they go, oh, athletic freak, and he just gets away with stuff. Well, sure, once in a while, like he'll overreach and then he'll have to dive back and he'll make a freaky tackle or something. But by and large, he recognizes, he reads. And if you watch what he did to Chris Van Zyl and Riker Matthews in the Great Cup, he's got way more pass rush moves than we give him credit for. We all think that he's just the, the string bean arm guy who can just overextend you and walk you backwards. It's He does so much more than that. So my question is just how great can they be? Because they're going to be great. There's no question about that. The crazy thing yeah. is, too, they both stay really healthy, which at that position, typically you get a couple of guys ding. Maybe it's their interior guys who wear a little bit more of the brunt, but they're sending doubles to those guys. They're chipping those guys with the running back a little bit more than any other defensive end, and they still stay pretty healthy, and they still stay really productive. So I'm just excited to see them. Again, it's one of those things where when we get confirmation the schedule comes out and the season's going to go ahead, you start to wonder about what teams are going to look like. And one of the first things that came to my mind before we even decided we were going to do this for the podcast today was how good is it going to be to see Willie Jefferson back in a CFL uniform? dancing around, showing off the grill, having fun. Because when Willie is is at his best, it's one of, if not the best players in the entire CFL. Uh, let's see. Sacks plus holding penalties drawn plus tackles for a loss plus knockdowns at the line. 
Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson. I remember Jeffcoat was on the sixth game in 2019. So yeah. he played only, uh, they played 18 plus three playoff games. So 20, he played only 15 games. They had 61 of those plays between the two of them, Ooh. which is by far the most of any duo in the league. 61, we stopped you or knocked you back plays just from those two alone. They are fantastic. And oh, by the way, they re-signed Jonathan Kongbo. Yeah. The Canadian. That seemed unfair. Goes, I, I really felt oh, like that seemed unfair. When, when, when I saw that re-sign, I'm not sure what's a more unfair re-signing though. Is it Lacey or is it Kongbo? Because I think you're going to see more starting reps, obviously, from Lacey and likely more of an impact. But the Kongbo thing, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, but they don't even need that. I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah, uh, you can spell Jake Thomas and throw three defensive ends at somebody. Like, oh, and oh, by the way, Steven Richardson is really good on the interior. So, yeah. oh, and oh, by the way, uh, T. Edric Hansen is probably back. Like, yeah, things are going to There's be. There's a lot of good point. players in the CFL, eh? There really are when you really start <laughs> to look at it. Uh, let's go to the Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. I have a couple for the Stampeders. And they all kind of come back to we have for a decade just said, yeah, they'll fill that hole. They'll be fine. They'll fill that hole. They'll be fine. And for the most part, they filled that hole and they'll, they've been fine. They weren't in 2019. They were not great in 2019. So I, I don't know if my bigger question is going to be uh, within the wide receiver core, or it's probably, honestly, it's probably in the offensive line core and the interior offensive line is the one I want to see because you're, you're having to replace, I know Brad Erdos didn't play in 2019. Very good. Shane Bergman, I thought, was a fantastic left tackle. I, I weep for the CFL that he's gone a little bit because he was so nice in there. But they're already replacing both tackles, or at least pushing Cassitati out there full time. And now they have to replace both their guards as well. Sean McEwen comes in, great. But can Justin Lawrence and Ryan Seaver make that work is, is my biggest question. Bo can handle a lot of things, right? Bo could be standing on... Deerfoot trail and high speed rush hour and be like, yeah, this is fine. Uh, there's Kamar. We're good. But that doesn't go on forever. Just because Bo can maneuver his way out of the pocket, throw the ball away, no loss at second and 10, let's go get him. You don't want to play that way. That doesn't help you get the ball to Kamar Jordan, to Mark Heath Ambles and Josh Huff. So uh, interior offensive line, can they fill in what are two pretty big gaps in my mind is my question. Uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to go interior offensive line. So I will make up a one big question on the fly here for the Calgary Stampers. I actually haven't looked at when they play Toronto, but my on the fly one big question here is how does oh, that week one? Oh, is it really week one that they started out with it? Okay. Um, Cause I didn't have a chance to dive into the full schedule of every team, but yeah, the, if it's Calgary, Toronto week one, my question is with, and we see this so much in collegiate football where somebody goes from Alabama to Auburn or jumps over from, uh, you know, I say Florida to Georgia, something like that for coaching staff. And they know them inside out and they get a chance to really pick away at what they know. And they know the terminology and they know the hand signals and they, and Nick Arbuckle is going to have the advantage going into that game of understanding exactly what Calgary does, not just because he was there, but because his head coach, Ryan Dinwiddie, was there. So having those guys with, again, Juwan Briskason and Devaris Daniels and all the rest, how much, given all of the advantages of understanding what they're going up against, how much can they produce? Because it might be a bit of a fallacy. They might go into that game and show it like crazy, and then when they don't have those advantages, they come crashing back to earth. 
but my my problem here is I wonder if they go into that game, they have those advantages, they have all this preparation time, and then they get to the game and they just don't execute. How much is that going to show? Oh, okay, there's that first little tiny crack in the Argo system that we were talking about where they've got all this talent and we'll see where it goes in-house. But you wonder what Calgary versus Toronto is going to look like, really look like, because I think there's going to be a whole lot of the last second as the receivers are waggling towards the line of scrimmage adjustments and people yelling things and coaches recognizing stuff. And there's going to be a lot of snap decisions made in that game because there's going to be a lot of the eye recognition of the people that have been on either side of that battle that they're going to see stuff and try to take advantage of it. Yeah. Just looking at this roster, Calgary suffered personnel losses, ultimately went negative defensive backfield. Uh, They had Jameer Thurman linebackers are fantastic losses on the defensive line, losses on the offensive line in the receiving core and at running back. And you go, I, I get it. I get Calgary is awesome. I get Huffnagel is a god. I get Dave Dickinson does an incredible job. At some point, it is too much. It, when, when your lead rusher is Falerin Arimalade, who we really haven't seen play much in the CFL because he got hurt in preseason in 19, that Calgary is going to be four or five for me in the West when we eventually pick who's going to finish where just, just because there's, there's a point where you've lost too much, or in this case, Toronto has traded for and taken it all right. Mm-hmm. Toronto did a great job getting guys from there. Uh, Edmonton, the Edmonton Elks are to me a, a pretty easy question. And it's a lot like Hamilton. Why won't Edmonton win the West mm-hmm. Edmonton? I was texting with one of the guys and I said, uh, you guys are winning the West, right? And, and he said, elk power, or elks, whatever. <laughs> but they have, name a defensive tackle, name, pardon me, name a left tackle who's been an all-star in the last eight years who is not Stanley Bryant. And he probably plays for Edmonton right now, yes. right? <laughs> Incredible. The defensive line looks fantastic. They had Sean Lemon. Oh yeah, Jake Cerezna's there in the interior. Linebackers, okay, who's the, ma- who's the mic is a question. Their defensive backfield, that they got with street free agents and Jonathan Rose and Jonathan Mincy. And oh, by the way, Aaron Grimes. Hey, here you go, Aaron Grimes. Receiving core might be the best in the league. Trevor Harris can get the deal done. Experience on the interior offensive line. I'm not huge fans of, of all three of them, but there's some really nice pieces in there between Ruby and Beard and Saxlid. Uh, James Wilder running back for as much as running back matters. Why? And they have depth in these spots too. Why won't Edmonton win the, win the West and, 50 days out, I think Edmonton's the favorite in, in the West, as crazy as that might sound. One big question for me when it comes to Edmonton deals specifically with the receiving group, because if you look at the way that most receiving groups, the ball distribution goes, it's the top guy, whether it be Shaq Evans, Brandon Banks, otherwise, they're going to get somewhere up around, I don't know, DT. I mean, it varies per team, but usually you're going to get somewhere 14 to 18% of your team's pass targets. Your second guy is going to get somewhere in and around 10%. And then you're going to kind of sprinkle it down through. There's going to be somebody with 8%, somebody with 4%, somebody, and it goes down through the list like that. When you have a group as talented as they do in Edmonton, in the receiving group, where do the targets go to? And Elizondo is such a great offensive mind, in my opinion, that I think it's going to be pretty evenly split. Like we saw what he did in Ottawa when he had 4,000 yard receivers, because it was what Ernest Jackson, Chris Williams, uh, Greg Ellingson, Brad Sinopoli. Was that the four? No, it was yeah. Chris. Yeah. Okay. That was yeah. the four. Uh, before but before Deontay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, again, they basically did it again with Deontay. So um, the idea of being able to spread the ball around and make the defense defend every single part of the field, 
they're absolutely going to do that. But I do wonder if Trevor Harris, once we get three, four, five weeks into the season, starts to develop a real groove with one guy. And that's where you'll start to see the target percentage just start to just do a little bit of this, just barely start to out-eke everybody around him. Uh, so I don't know where those targets are going to go. I think it'll be pretty evenly split. I think they'll attack all edges of the field. I think they'll produce offensively. But I want to see when we get to Labor Day and beyond, where do the targets start to go? And where does the production grade start to go for guys when they're targeted as well? Because that's going to be the real telltale of, okay, they're going to start leaning when we get towards playoff time on this guy. And I think it's going to be Ellingson. Yeah, Honestly, like uh, to me, Ellingson yeah, sure. is going to be the guy over everybody else in the, whether it be the targets percentages, the production grade, the second down targets, like all those things I think are going to lean Ellingson. But it's crazy to think that you would move away from Darrell Walker. You see him in a one-on-one matchup. You're like, mm, but I like this Ellingson matchup over here. Like, man, what a great choice to have. Yeah. And, and you love that one is the X and one is the Y, right? Opposite yeah. sides of the field. I was trying to look at the best XY combos in the league as guys, when you talk about spreading the field, uh, they're runaway number one. Number two might be if Montreal goes Geno Lewis at the X and they move BJ Cunningham to the Y, maybe they're next. But that's a, that's a lethal combo when you have two top five receivers and it's not wide receiver and slot to the same side. Ellingson has been the guy for me who, who's ushered in this transition of we need to use this field side more. And Ellingson is the man. So eight targets a game for him, seven targets a game for Darrell Walker, a little deeper down the field. Armonte Edwards can be the cleaner underneath and occasionally burn you deep. Edmonton, it's nice. if, if Trevor Harris is healthy, Edmonton could be really, really nice yep. uh, this season. Uh, the final one is the BC Lions, who in 2020, I would have picked them to be maybe second in the West. And they've done some really nice things in the defensive backfield. They might go two Canadian at, at linebacker, which would be neat. I wonder who is going to pressure the quarterback with the BC Lions. That is my my big question. Uh, they get Chris Casher from Calgary. Casher was fantastic for Calgary in generating pressure in 2019. They'll play him from what looks here opposite J.R. Tavai. Tavai was fine in Ottawa. Ottawa had a lot of issues, but the, the play I remember from J.R. Tavai was getting absolutely shoulder faked by Cody Fajardo, who then <laughs> spun out to his left and made an incredible touchdown to Naaman Roosevelt. I, I wonder where the pressure is going to come from on this defense. Cause I mean, you can cover with Peters and sales and company, but where you need everything, you need all of it. If you're going to compete in the West with the teams that, that we see in front of us. So where will BC generate pressure from? I feel like Rick Campbell is going to have an answer and I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that Rick Campbell is a Superman though. I gravitate toward that with what he did with those Ottawa teams. Uh, but my question is, is who's getting quarterback pressure in, in BC, Sean Lemon off to Edmonton. Yeah, absolutely. And I, for myself, like I, I look at what BC did with their offensive line group and they didn't overhaul a lot. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of, I think it's because they found some effective play down the stretch of 2019 and they think that they could, but again, Hunter Stewart is another year and a half, two years older, right? Some of the more veteran guys in that group. So uh, I wonder what that's going to look like. My one big question is just what does Mike Riley look like with a clean pocket? Because we don't know in BC. We have, we have no idea what he looks like in BC with a clean pocket. If Mike Riley gets a clean pocket, all bets are off. I don't care who the receivers are. He is going to make plays. He's going to make throws. 
but it's just a question that I have because I've not really seen it in BC, even down the stretch, as we say, he was still getting banged up enough to have his wrist or his arm or whatever got hurt at the end of the season get messed up because he was still doing the iron Mike stuff and running into piles face first and all the rest. So um, the other one that I have is not really a question. It's more of a request because you're talking about pressure up front. Yeah. I would, re- I would request that there's some form of a three, four mixed in defensively where we get Ben Fladdock alongside Jordan Williams. Uh, I would love to see two middle linebackers flying around making plays. And let's be real about this. Fladdock is big enough, athletic enough, runs fast enough. He delivers as much inertia and force into the offensive line as a defensive end or a defensive tackle. Like he's not the same size, but he's pretty close. He's a big dude. So if you really want to play kind of this Joker style where Jordan Williams is running sideline to sideline and you want to have Ben Cladic be this roaming guy inside between the box, but you really only have three defensive line, but he's the fourth guy, but he's really a linebacker, but he's kind of not because he's an athletic freak and a big body. Yeah, I think that would be a fun idea. Does that come to fruition? Probably not, because I'm also the person who in Madden decided to line everybody up in a vertical line stacked one behind each other. And at the snap, they would all disperse and go out and cover in zones or cover a man. So I have a bit of a, uh, a sideways mind when it comes to fun, creative, different strategy. But I think that would be really fun to see BC try to do something unique. And obviously, for me, part of that is the fact that it's Canadian, right? Like guys who got drafted in the CFL. I like the idea of them getting an opportunity to create something unique in BC at the position that they've obviously emphasized with Neil McAvoy. Yeah. I, well, we talked about Laddick when he put up those just freaky, freaky numbers from the, from the combine Uh, Riley in the pocket, no pressure in 2019 guys over 200 attempts, fourth and passer rating. And you feel like, okay, those interceptions will get knocked down because they will be, some semblance of normalcy uh, from his coaching staff down to him when I don't believe there was any, any normalcy in that coaching staff in 2019. So if all of a sudden that's now 16 touchdowns and four interceptions, Riley would be the top rated passer uh, in the pocket with no pressure. Uh, That'll be, that's the thing that needs to happen in BC, right? Is for Mike to allow to, there were so many times I thought, does he not have somebody to throw to? And you look at the all 24 and go, Oh, no, no, he he didn't because there's not a route breaking off when he's about to get murdered and nobody's open and it wasn't open. Like, okay, that's, uh, that would be a huge plus for Riley in his coming season. Uh, Marsh, we're talking about actual football strategy and games. And I can't believe we're able to do this. And it's only 50 days away from the season. There's like seven more of us breaking this down before the season starts. <laughs> then we get new stuff to break down. I know people are going to be so exhausted of us talking about it by the time we get to season kickoff, but that's a good thing. Uh, we will try to keep you as up to date, informed and have as much fun with it as we possibly can going forward here. I am going to be on the sports gauge coming up later on today here on Wednesday. Uh, DT, I saw that you were with uh, Suter, fine tailored suit uh, earlier on Monday and you had a loaded show on Tuesday. Yeah, we had uh, Riders head coach Craig Dickinson. The commissioner was with us. We heard from Cody Fajardo. It's, I mean, these last two days have been, oh my gosh, we need to talk football with everybody. Because for for Fajardo and Dickinson, right, I default to thinking about the players and, man, this must mean so much to them. But for Craig Dickinson on his staff and for all these coaches who, who give their lives to football to have it taken away, it's just, honestly, it's just as sad when you think about it. This is what they were kind of born to do and mm-hmm. they didn't get to do it, but now they get to do it for real. And August 6th, when Hamilton and Winnipeg play, uh, they get to do it again for real. And this is what they've trained to do their whole lives. And, 
and they get back to it. I'm so happy for all of them. Uh, something that has intrigued me kind of below the surface that doesn't actually matter, but I just kind of thought about the other day was, I wonder what there are like for nerves for coaching staffs going into the season, because you would think that you would iron that stuff out in training camp and it's going to be a slow grind, 21 day training camp and all the rest. And the players, I think they're going to figure it out for the most part, but they still got to go to live reps once they get on the field. Those live reps, as we know, sometimes they can help take some of those jitters away because you get hit once or twice and you're back. Coaches don't get that. Like they don't get the opportunity. So the play calling might be a little bit wonky to start things off. They might call in the wrong defensive substitution group on a second down early in the season. There's a lot of little things. I think it's football is a rhythm sport. It is about Mm. finding the things that work and knowing what your favorite parts are. I know for me, like as soon as I would hand the ball off on first down when I was in university and we'd get a gain of two, my head would snap to the sideline and I'd be saying, I want you to give me this play. Give me this play. Give me this. I'd get the signal. I'd look down. I'd go, he gave me that play. Because I knew. I understood my coaching staff. They knew what I wanted. I knew what I wanted. And I think that takes time to develop. Thankfully, we've got Trevor Harris with Jamie Elizondo. We've got Nick Arbuckle with Ryan Dinwiddie. we got Masoli or Evans with Tommy Condell. I mean, there's a lot of pairings where they've been working over Zoom. They get this stuff. They're going to have a long training camp. So I don't think it's going to be noticeable. But I do wonder, under the surface of the calm faces of all those coaches on the sidelines, what's actually going on as the hamster wheel just starts spinning as the kickoff happens of the first games in the regular season? Yeah, there's been no live fire for coaches, right? So, oh, do I get the field goal attempt at the end of the half? How do I do that? We blew it badly in 2019. How do we not blow it in 2021 when you haven't had, unless they've been playing Madden, you know, and getting those live reps that way. There's... (laughs) that stuff you can't practice and we're if they're not ready with it we are going to hammer them about it right as the media (laughs) and as fans so yeah it's that's i hadn't thought of that but that is stressful yeah yep it's going to play into it for sure don't forget you can use that promo code cfp15 on fox40shop.com and get 15 percent off all your return to play whistle needs i can actually finally say that we are returning to play so hey use the promo code get yourself uh some free uh money saved on that stuff with cfp15 again on fox40shop.com and of course Order some beers. We're going to be watching football. Get yourself some beer. SadaCityBeer.com. Go there and use the promo code CFL. If you live in Ontario, you get free shipping on all orders over 100 bucks. Uh, I know that you guys have been putting the orders in. You've been showing Sawdust some love. I've been talking to Jake from Sawdust and Sam Corbet every week from Sawdust, and they love that you guys have bought in and that you're having fun. You're enjoying what they create. They love what they do, and they really want to support the CFL because they haven't done a lot with sports before. They jumped on board with us because they wanted to get involved with sports and they thought that Canadian football was a uniquely Canadian crowd that would love Canadian craft beer. You guys have shown that to them. So thank you for doing that and keep using the promo code CFL is what you need to know when you go to sawdustcitybeer.com. That's going to do it for today for the breakdown. We will be back next week as we continue to jibber jabber leading into confirmation of a season. Finally, at the end of a long, long wait for all of this. He is at DT on SC. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh, and we will talk to you on Canadian Football Perspective right here next week.